Steve, I hope you can help me like that one day. <laughs> I don't actually trust you that much, so. <clears throat> I don't know if you need a victory today. I, uh, I, I've been in the ministry like 27 years now. It's been a day or two. I got in the ministry to watch God change the world. Those youthful visions. <laughs> and I have seen God move in amazing ways. And I've also gone through seasons where I, I thought God might have taken a vacation. I know that's not true. And that's one of the keys to victory. Is you have to tear down the lies that are stopping you from living in power. So this series is on baptism, but it's also about just being a normal, ordinary, Jesus-following Christian. Which is the most powerful thing you can be in this life. So we jump into a story today about another baptism that on the surface doesn't look like it is. It begins with the death of a great leader, Moses. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2, God says to Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I've given them. Here's what you need to understand about Moses. Moses was not on Moses' mission. And that's the difference between someone who follows Jesus, follows God, and who follows their own agenda. Most people are on their own mission. But Moses was not on his own mission. He didn't even want to be on the mission. And yet because God came and called him, he went and he stood up to the tribal leaders of Israel. He stood up to the world leader of Pharaoh and he delivered a nation because God had a vision, not because Moses had a vision. God had a vision, and Moses saw God's vision. And now, continuation of leadership, Moses spent 40 years raising sheep, 40 years leading a nation, and he doesn't get to go into the promised land because he let those people get to him rather than let God hold him up in that one moment. And now we come to Joshua, 40 years. The nation of Israel has been in the wilderness, and now Moses is dead, and now Joshua is given the keys to the kingdom. He's given the right, the responsibility, and the power to lead the nation of Israel, not out of bondage and into the wilderness like Moses did, but out of the wilderness and into victory. And that is, the, that is how your Christian life will work. You will walk out of bondage into a wilderness and out of the wilderness into a victory. And so, I want to kind of tell you how Joshua learned to lead before I jump into how we're going to apply this. I love this passage, and so I had to put it in this message. Exodus 33.11 shows you how Moses mentored Joshua. Inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man 
who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Moses taught Joshua how to be a leader by showing Joshua how to be God's friend. I want you to hear that. Moses taught Joshua how to be a leader by demonstrating and showing Joshua how to be God's friend. Highest compliment I've ever received in my entire life. I received about a month ago. I know you're that's hyperbole. No, it's not. It's for real. We had family week a few weeks ago, and uh, most, almost all of our sons made it in. And uh, we had a worship night on Saturday night, just sang and prayed for each other, and it was really cool. And my second oldest son shared with the group how inspired he was by the fact that every morning when he got up, he knew his dad would be at the kitchen table pouring over his Bible. Highest compliment I ever received. You know where I learned that? From my dad. Because every morning when I got up, my dad had an old blue Schofield, new Schofield Bible that he wore out and then gave to me. And every morning my dad would be pouring over scriptures. And so my dad taught me how to be a friend of God. I tried to teach my sons the same. But you can't teach them by saying, be God's friend. You teach them by being God's friend. Make sense? That's how Joshua, this, this man who's going to be one of the greatest leaders the nation of Israel's ever had, this man who is a, a type of Jesus Christ, sorry, <clears throat> this man who's a type of Jesus and displays what Jesus does for our victory, learned that leadership skill at the feet of Moses as Moses worked. And then the last I'll point out is that the keys to the kingdom for Joshua were in Joshua 1, 8, and 9. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this tells us that the coach has a playbook, as Steve already alluded to, and that the playbook tells you how to excel, how to have victory in the kingdom, and in, in victory in your life. So what we want to do today is we want to take a baptism, if you will, of the nation of Israel, and we want to learn from that baptism how that we can also walk in the victory that it promises. We want to see how that baptism sets us up and can prepare us and at least show us how victory begins to happen in the Christian life. And so, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> i uh, I got to jump over a segment here, so give me just a second while I just lost my way. It happens because I'm older, not old, but older. What I, 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 we want to begin this story, so we, the nation of Israel just spent 40 years in the wilderness, the only two survivors, the only two survivors of the wilderness journey are Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two left from the 1.5 million Israelites that walked through the Red Sea. And they're about to walk in. So what I, I want you to see in this is that the nation of Israel, uh, there, was, there were problems. They weren't ready for victory. They couldn't let go of their slave mindsets and they couldn't trust God. That was the, that was the crux. 
Christianity, following Jesus, is about faith. But faith isn't mental assent. Faith isn't a feeling. Oh, you just got to have faith. I'm sorry, I have to mock it when I get a chance. So I did. That's not what faith is. Faith is trusting someone. Trusting God specifically that they are correct, that they are good, that they're out for your best interest. And so the nation of Israel could not do that. And so here's what happened, 1 Corinthians 10, 5. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. Yeah, most of them. All but two. 1.5 million to two. All right. Yet God was not pleased with them, with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us, so we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Here's what I want you to see. 1.5 million Israelites walk out of Egypt to walk in, plus all the kids of the 1.5 before. What happened? Was God just being unkind? Is there something wrong with God? Because that's how we think. We think that if things go wrong in our life, if we have trouble, if, if we're having battles, or we lose things that are important to us, we think that God messed up. But that's not the case. God always has been, always will be faithful. He always has been, always will be good. And he always has been, always will be kind. And so the problem isn't God. God isn't a jerk like the lies tell us, like the slave believes. Because that's how the slaves pictured God coming out of Egypt. They came out of Egypt and their relationship with Pharaoh was with a cruel tyrant who was evil and wicked toward his slaves. And they thought God had just slipped into Pharaoh's spot so they couldn't trust him. And it killed them. It ended their lives. Because they couldn't believe that God was good. And he was kind. And he was right. And so that slave thinking has got to die. <laughs> Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians 10, later on in, a, well, in the chapter that we just read, that the Israelites' failures teach us, teach us not to crave evil things, worship idols, teach us not to worship idols, not to engage in sexual immorality, not to test Jesus, and not to grumble. I don't like the last one because I'm very, very good at grumbling. Very good. And then he caps that off with the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. So my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. So God, uh, Paul's trying to teach us that the story of the Israelites is, is not supposed to be our story. We're not to wander our lives in some kind of desolate wilderness without any power and without any victory. God intends for you to win. But for that to happen, you've got to leave the loser in the desert. Part of you's got to end. The part that thinks God's cruel, that thinks God's a jerk, that thinks God doesn't care, that slave mindset that cannot and will not see God as a loving, adoring father, that part of you's got to end. That's what the wilderness is for. It's to strip off the liar. 
the one who doesn't believe, the unbelief. God expects you. So what we see in Joshua chapter 3 is that they come through and we see this reference to three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp. And then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Baptism is about realizing that the old part of you, the loser, Michael, that's rude. The old part of you, Paul calls him the old man. In some places, uh, King James called it the flesh. That old part of you is a voice inside your head tripping you up all the time. He's the one that has the tapes of every stupid, evil thing that's ever been said to you. He's the one that's filled with the lies that tell you God isn't faithful, God isn't truthful, God isn't enough. And he's the one back there that says turn away from God and try and find your supply, your sources, your help out in a corrupt, dark world. And so if we don't learn that there's a part of us we have to leave behind, it's the part of us that really loves the world in which we live, the one that's passing away, the one that's getting worse day by day. Have you noticed that life's gotten harder in the last couple of years? Anybody catch that? Or I'm the, Maybe I'm a whiner. I mean, I do grumble a lot, so maybe it's just me. It's gotten tougher. Why? Is it some political party's fault that it got tougher? No, the world you live in is fading away. 1 John chapter 2, it's failing. The, I don't know if you read Revelations, but the beast in Revelations represents every government on the planet. Every government on the planet. And the only successful happy end for the beast is his total destruction. And don't even get me started Never mind, I'm going to stop right there. I stopped. Thank you. Back to where we're going. <laughs> we have to learn to leave the loser behind us. And so here's what happens. This is what the nation of Israel does. They're on the borders of Canaan land. They're, they're man, the victory is just across the river, man. They've known 40 years of wilderness it wasn't a total wipeout. I mean, they had some victories in the wilderness. They learned some things. The children born in the wilderness weren't born slaves and didn't have nearly the difficulty leaving Pharaoh and his onions and leeks. I will never know why a Jewish slave longed for onions and leeks. I love a good fried onion, but come on. Sorry, Michael's heaven. My southern just came out. It happens. And so they're on the borders of this, the, the river Jordan, and they're ready to go into their promise, and, Ju- and Joshua's gotten them ready, gave them three days to set the, the past behind. And here's what happens, verse three, chapter 3, verse 15, it's harvest season, the Jordan was overflowing its banks, but as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. (laughs) You're like, uh, why are you so excited about that? We got to leave the loser behind. Do you know where the loser started? Adam. And God lets a town shape on the shores of Jordan called Adam. And then, of course, accidentally, completely coincidentally, the, the, the river parts and it stops at Adam because that's where the problem started. So what baptism is about is about ending Adam. It's about erasing everything to Adam and restoring what was before him. That's what baptism is about. 
But if you want to leave the loser behind, you have to step into that river. And it's funny to me because the river didn't move until somebody set their feet in it. And that is exactly how faith works. The provision is never there beforehand. It always shows up as it's needed. God is like a just-in-time kind of God. I don't know if he learned that from Ford or Ford learned it from him. I, I don't know. You'd have to know a little history to know what I just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> when you're ready to live in the power of God and live in the promises of God, when you're ready for solutions that are larger than your problems, then you leave the loser behind and you step into the river. And when you step into the river, things begin to happen. Yeah. Amen? That's not all. Leaving something behind implies that we're headed towards something else. Too many people think the beginning is an ending. But it is an ending of an old thing, but it's always the birth of a new thing. So the second thing I'd like to point out of this text is how they have to follow the way that their following of God changes. For the last 40 years, the nation of Israel has been in the wilderness, and here's how they followed God. They woke up every morning, huge pillar of smoke out over the tabernacle. Is God out there today? He's out there. Is he doing anything scary? Not today. Some days, he was pretty scary. At night, before they went to bed, is God out there? Pillar of fire up into the heavens. You didn't know where God, you didn't have to wonder where God was. His presence was evident by the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke, uh, the pillar of smoke. But now things are about to change because what you need for victory and what you need for survival are different things. You see, in the wilderness, they were surviving, getting by. Yes, there were victories, but they were living off the manna from heaven and water from a rock, and God's presence was manifest in the Shekinah glory of a fire pillar and a cloud pillar. But now things are changing, because after this day, the nation of Israel is not going to have God's GPS out there in front of them anymore. Things are going to change. And so what God tells Joshua to do is to get the Ark of the Covenant, have the priest carry it like it was supposed to be done, and to get out front in the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat would lead people. The mercy seat would lead people. Dang, that's good. Mercy leads us. The great unknown of the universe is the mercy of God, folks. The mercy seat will lead them from that day forward. It reminds me of the time that Jesus told his disciples, you guys, in John 14, he says, you know where I'm going and you know the way. And Thomas is my favorite disciple. I, I mean, Peter, I identify with a little bit more, but Thomas is my favorite because, you know, Thomas was, they, he gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas. But they, they always miss how courageous Thomas was, how willing he was to die for the Lord. But in that moment, Jesus says, hey, I, I, I'm going, you know the way, you know how to get there. And Thomas was like, oh, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Thomas was like horse shack from, it's one of the sweat hogs. It's in the original text. If you look it up, you will not find it, but it's funny to think about. Ooh, 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 ooh. And, and, and Jesus is like, what, what is it, Thomas? And Thomas is like, I don't have that in my phone. I don't, it, Siri is not bringing up where you're going, so we don't know the way. What are you talking about, Jesus? 
And then Jesus comes back with that most awesome answer that we share with you all the time. Jesus said, Thomas, I'm the way. You see, he said, you know the way because you know me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I, a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the way into victory. Does that make sense? And so, when this nation of Israel, these, these kids that were born in the wilderness, they're going to have to follow God in a different way than their parents did. Their parents got a, a cloud and a pillar of fire. The kids are going to follow the mercy seat into battle, into rest, into victory. You see, that's always the way. Because that's what Jesus is, right? Isn't Jesus the mercy of God? And so, if we're going to make it into victory, we got to follow the Father there. To, to tip into what Steve said earlier, the coach, the one who knows what it's going to take to win those victories. Because I don't know what it's going to take. I don't even know all the battles. Okay? I, I don't know all the sneak attacks and the... And the the ways that the enemy works, I don't know all of that. But, but God does know how all that kind of stuff is going to work. And let me, one more snapshot out of the scene here. Well, a couple more. So the, 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 the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, and they just walk out in the Jordan. And I, I'm thinking as I'm reading this, I'm like, how would you like to have been one of those priests clocking in that morning, finding out what the agenda is for the day? You find out you're going to stand in a flooded river all day long. Here's what you're doing today, Joe. You see that flooded river? Just walk out in the middle of it with the Ark of the Covenant. That's all you got to do today. Seems like a problem. So let's read it. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until, the Lord's, until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joseph, Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried, I would have hurried too, hurried across the riverbed. <laughs> They're standing in this flooded river, and it's parts on them, and I'm like, I know what I would be, because, man, I would, I would love to tell you I have great faith, but I, I don't, man. You, you know mustard seed faith? I haven't achieved mustard seed faith yet, and so, and I would be in the river, and I would see the wall of water way up there at the city of Adam, and, and it's all drained out going down the thing, and I'd be going, I hope they hurry. I don't know how long God can do this. You know that's what I'd be doing. And you might be too. Like, I, I hope God's got this one figured out. But when you follow the Father, miracles become possible then. Everybody wants a miracle of some kind. A miracle in a relationship, a miracle with their health, a miracle and all these kind of things. But nobody wants to do what God says. Nobody wants to step out into a river. You remember the story of Naaman, the, the, the officer that had leprosy, the Assyrian officer that had leprosy, and, and he went to Elijah, and Elijah wouldn't even come out, or maybe it was Elisha, one of the Eli guys, wouldn't even come out to meet him, you know, and, uh, and, and all he did was send a message, go wash in the Jordan. And, 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 and he was like, that, that officer was like, there's a lot better rivers than that one. I'll, this doesn't even make sense. He, he wasn't even very kind to me. But then ultimately, he did it. I love how God is okay sometimes that we fuss. But then when we step up to the plate and we do, he shows up. 
If you want a miracle in your life, if you want victory in your life, the only way to get it is to follow the Father. He has a great plan. He has an awesome, awesome vision. He has the resources. He has everything. That's why obedience to the Word of God is so important. Obedience to the Word of God is not about being legalistic. It's not about you know, just obeying a set of rules so you can get to heaven. Obedience to the Lord is understanding that the Lord is way smarter than we are. And when we apply biblical principle to our lives, and we look at the things that Jesus told us to do. Have you ever read Matthew 5 through 8? I mean, the, the, the Beatitudes and the, and the Sermon on the Mount and all the things Jesus told us to do, those were not to say to you, this is really hard, this is really, really hard. It was to say to us, the world you live in is broken. The world you're going to is the fix. The kingdom that you are living from and spiritually within that's the answer not the next book i just saved you 20 bucks <laughs> not the next guru i just saved you a thousand bucks going to some city for a conference god's answer is the right answer the strong center and i'll tell you what there are a lot of men out there writing about god's answer but what i love about being a jesus follower is i get to get the answer straight from him i don't need a middleman there's one middleman's name's Jesus. By the way, you don't even need me. I just have more jokes than you do. <clears throat> Yours might be better. No argument there. No argument there. So Father, follow the Father. You got to remember, guys, every person of faith in the Bible had a big problem first. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. David's nation was being intimidated and insulted by a giant. On and on it goes. The nation of Israel was being persecuted and in bitter suffering by a Pharaoh. Without a big problem, those people of faith, who knows if they'd have turned to God. So if you've got a big problem, or you think you might have one one day, or you might have just got out, because usually here's how it works. You either just got out of a problem or you're about to go into one. Michael, that's not very positive. Oh, it is. I'm positive that there's a problem you just got out of and a problem you're about to get into. It's a reality. All I, and, but what I do know is God has bigger solutions than your biggest problem. That is a fact. So follow the Father. And the last thing I want to share with you is to go ahead and win those battles. What I love about being a child of God is that we are given the victory. So in this battle of life, I know I win. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus won. And I, you're not going to believe this. I read the last chapter. I know how all this turns out. Not worried. Not, I mean, I'm worried about the road from here to there, but I ain't worried about there. I mean, we're good. Father's got this in hand. The victory is yours. However, <laughs> the battles are still in front of you. The nation of Israel was promised victory over the Canaan land in their great-great-great-grandfather Abram. They held the promise of victory for over 400, 500 years. 
before they, they got it. And now when we come to the story in Joshua 3 and 4, they have the victory over the Canaan land, but they have yet to fight the first battle. And so I'm here to tell you, yes, the victory is yours. And we Christians need to live and are called to live and are gifted to live victorious Christian lives. But we also need to stop getting mad because we have to have battles on the way to our victory. Seriously, how many of you, you walk into a problem, you wake up this morning, you, you go out the front door, and there's a big problem delivered by UPS. <sighs> United Partial Satan System. <laughs> SS. Just kidding. There's a big problem. And here's what I do. I can't say what you do, but I think you might be like me. I go out there and i like, another stupid problem. What are you doing to me? Satan delivers it, and God gets the blame. And so what I want us to see is that there are battles in front of us, and we need to stop complaining that, that the problems are there. We live in a broken, a corrupt world. We live in the exact world that we wanted. It just didn't turn out the way we thought it would. We thought we would get to be God, and that didn't work out. And so here we are in this broken place, in this corrupt place, this dark place, this scary place, this fear-filled place, and these problems are going to come. And rather than the fear, am I going to survive this? Can I handle this problem? Is there an answer for this challenge? And, and man, everyone in this room has got to either have had something or going into something or has something right now that fits that bill. And you're like, what am I going to do? Well, instead of worshiping the problem this is a big problem this is such a big problem Goliath is really hurting my feelings instead of worshiping the problem worship the father that's how we fight our battles that's how we stand up as we realize that God is bigger than this problem what I long for the day. I'm not there yet. I wish I were there. I, I, I will text you when I'm there, okay? All of you, every one of you, one by one, text you. I'm just kidding. I don't text that well. I long for the day that I get up in the morning and I open my front door and there's this huge refrigerator box problem from the United Parcel Satan system. And rather than me freaking out about the problem, I call Steve. And rather than me crying to Steve, which I do all the time, oh, Steve, it's so hard, oh my God. Rather than that, I would love to open the door, see the problem, and go, Steve, you are not going to believe this. I have a problem so big, God is going to have to do something awesome to take care of this. Steve might even come over. We might worship together for a while. Guys, you are saved for victory. You are saved to win and overcome. Jesus died on the cross not so you could live your life in failure and go to church some. He saved, died on the cross and saved you and rose again to empower you, sent the Holy Spirit back to fill you. All of those things he did so you could stop the work of the enemy, so you could end the stupid junk that's going on in the world, in your family, in your kids. 
My dad rose up. God saved him in the early 70s, uh, 74, 75, somewhere in there. And uh, guys came by, led him to Jesus Christ. My dad stood up and ended the cycle of poverty, uh, of alcoholism, of all kinds of things for the Maynard family. He ended it. He stood up as a chain breaker for his family, and he realized that he had been saved for something larger than, than just surviving until you die. And so my dad broke off those chains. Every one of you in this room has a family story, a legacy, something that we use to fill in our excuses templates, you know? I couldn't do this because of that or whatever. Well, it's time for someone to rise up and know that we don't serve a wimpy God who's up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh, things are so bad, I don't know what to do. We serve a mighty God who has everything in hand he has it so in hand, he wrote the last chapter of the book to just to show off. Here's what's going to happen. And, and then he says, I win. Yeah. Yeah. And because he wins, you win. Yeah, the battles are in front of you. Yes, they're going to be hard. Yes, you are going to need the people around you. We are going to have to hold each other up. I am not minimizing the difficulty of the battles. I am trying to magnify the awesomeness of the victory that's coming. God is going to win this in your life. I don't know what it's going to look like, but he's going to take your life. The second you step into the river and you walk through into your victory, God begins to work to break off all those generational curses, all the bad habits that you grew up with, all the unloving, disconnected, harmful, broken, abusive things that happen in your life, you begin to change the story for your kids, for the people that you touch, for your friends. Everyone in this room becomes a champion. And all you have to do is step through and show up. I don't know how many Old Testament battles you've read. There are several of them where all that the nation of Israel had to do was show up. The battle of Jericho. They went on a daily walk around the town. Granted, at my weight, that does sound stressful. But nonetheless, that's all they did was walk around Jericho and then go in and mop up the survivors. And, and so showing up, walking through this, this is, this is a place that we as believers, need to celebrate and walk into. Let's, let's bow our heads for a second. Worship team, if I could go ahead and get you guys. We're going to do communion, but I'm going to go ahead and have you guys up here.